Welcome to Adapter's Advantage, breakthrough moments that lead to success. Our podcast brings you insider stories of the moments that mattered, turning points on the sometimes rocky road to success. Here's your host, Mark Magnaca, president and co-founder of Alego, the workforce training and readiness platform built for distributed teams. Hi, this is Mark Magnaca, and on behalf of Adapter's Advantage, I want to welcome our next guest, Josh Burson. Josh is a well-known industry analyst, educator, and thought leader in all aspects of HR, leadership, and HR technology. He's also a public speaker and writer on the topics of corporate human resources, talent management, recruiting, and the intersection of work and life. And I can tell you from a personal experience as part of the Josh Burson Academy that myself and my team have been participating in, he's also an expert on adapting to the post-pandemic world. So we've got a lot to cover. And Josh, with that as a setup, how do you answer the question when someone says to you, Josh Burson, what do you do? Well, thank you, Mark. Uh, I, I usually tell people I'm an industry analyst because most of the value I provide is pattern matching and making sense of this enormously complex world of HR and training and technologies and tools and leadership issues that go on in companies. And having done research in uh, various parts of HR and training for about 20, little more than 20 years, um, I, I think that's mostly what I do. And then it becomes manifest through articles, research reports, the academy, and other ways of communicating. But I think I'm probably a pattern matcher at heart. And then I'm an engineer by training. And so I like to look at data and, and look at the relationship between uh, what's going on in the world and what companies are trying to do. So that's, that's kind of the simple story. Well, I'd like to segue on that piece about your, your training by engineer as an engineer, because I think there's a number of surprises in your background for those people whose only exposure to you has been in the realm of being an industry analyst, a specialist in the HR world, a specialist in technology. Um, many of our listeners don't know that you also have a background in sales. Um, you began your career with IBM in field sales and management, and then of course your, your own entrepreneurial experience. So can, can you talk a little bit about how that perspective helps inform your thinking regarding how you see the sales process changing in this more virtual world? Absolutely. Well, my, my experience was I spent two years as an engineer and decided I didn't want to be an engineer. And then when I went back to college and came back to work a second time, um, I went into sales. I worked at IBM in the 80s. And for those of you that ever worked at IBM, in the 80s, IBM was the Google of today. It was the hot place to work. And um, I was a systems engineer and then a salesperson, went through marketing, uh, became a manager and did a bunch of other things there. <clears throat> and later when I went off and became, uh, you know, worked in, in corporate training and online learning, one of the things I always appreciated was that it doesn't matter how good your product is or uh, your service, if people don't buy it, you're not gonna have a company. <laughs> so, my son works in sales. My mother worked in sales. Um, I don't look at sales as, a, as, a, as an evil thing. I look at it as a very creative thing. And it's really the translation of a product or a service into value of a customer or a buyer. 
And so I have really made, paid a lot of attention to sales in my own companies and in the clients I talk to. And I think one of the things that, you know, you find from private equity companies who turn around businesses and companies that um, are highly successful is they always have a killer sales organization. There is just, it is always a formula for success. And I think companies that fail to invest well in sales training and sales enablement and understanding who they're selling to and how they will best reach those customers usually do not achieve their potential. And the other thing I've learned about sales is, you know, salespeople are, um, you know, not just the people out there collecting the revenue and trying to do deals, they give the executives enormous uh, insights into what's going on in the market. So, you know, in my experience running the research company and then the company now, I mean, I pay a lot of attention to what's going on in the sales organization because they're the ones that, that hear firsthand why somebody does or does not uh, buy or use or appreciate the product that you're building. So they're very, they're very, very important part of a company and, you know, maybe one of the most important parts of an organization, you know, of any size. You know, it's such an interesting point, Josh, that you just made there that I think um, some people miss. It, going back to your pattern matching uh, capability, the, the capacity to recognize almost in a, as a listening post, there's so much crucial information that the sales organization is, is sometimes stepping over, not even realizing how valuable it is, unless there's someone in management asking to help us kind of pan for gold in terms of sometimes they're the subtlest nuances yep. that make a difference in terms of why people decide to do one thing or the other. And I can't help but think when you, when you just said how important the sales organization is, I, I have a quote that I printed out a long time ago. It was from Ken Olson of, of Digital Equipment. And he said, quote, when you get the product right, the sales team becomes irrelevant. And that was right at the point, which you would remember the Vax era for DEC. Right? <laughs> that's when they fell apart. <laughs> exactly. Right? It was just, so I mean, it's, that, it's is so, a, that is so not true. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there are people that think that way. There are a lot of product people and engineering people that really see sales as a, as a necessary evil. And I think that's a huge mistake uh, in business and that, that you will have an underperforming company if you think about it that way. The other thing that's unique about sales, and I, I mean, I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this, is that great salespeople will morph the product or the service to meet the needs of the customer. They're creative in the, in the right environment when they're given the right resources, they will sort of create the right solution that the customer needs that a product manager or a CEO may not even know that they should have built. So yeah. um, it's, it's, a, it's a part, it's a form, it's a part of the company that can be creative and innovative, not just transactional and, um, and revenue generating. Well, I've experienced what you've just described firsthand as someone who came from financial services, who's now a, a technology co-founder. And I've, what I've learned very much is what you've said. The, the path that we've taken as a company has been an evolution. And, and many of the product decisions we've made are very different than what we might have thought we should do until we got feedback from the market in terms of yep. this is what we actually care about. So let's pivot from, from that piece to um, the challenges that so many learning organizations are facing. And, and there's, it's this burden of creating, managing, updating, and even activating relevant content. So the question is, what kinds of solutions or categories 
do you see emerging to address this content bottleneck? Well, you know, the word content is such a, such a big word. Um, in the sales environment, and in true, it's true in every form of training, there is technical content, you know, how do you do this, correct, incorrect. If you do it wrong, you're going to break something or blow something up. Yep. Um, there's what we call soft skills, uh, some of which are simple, some of which are highly complex. So you're not going to teach somebody how to be a leader in a one hour course, <clears throat> but there may be a whole bunch of small pieces that you need to know. Mm -hmm. There's compliance training where you really need to verify that somebody finished something for legal reasons. And then there's education and training that inspires and motivates and uh, brings people to another level of their career that may not have anything to do with the job they're in now, but might be aspirational towards where they want to go or where the company uh, believes they should go next. Mm -hmm. And so from a content standpoint, the content developers or the learning department has to look at all four of those kinds of training and then decide based on the platforms they have, uh, reading, listening, video, face-to-face -face learning, cohort-based learning, self-study, um, virtual reality, uh, simulations, testing, um, uh, work, job exercises, assignments, homework. There's just, there must be 20 or 30 modalities that they can select from. And unfortunately, the market is uh, so big for these tools that most companies end up with a lot of tools. They end up with, in fact, I think one of the studies I have says that 20, the average L&D department in a medium-sized to large company has 22 to 24 pieces of software or some kind of tool to manage all these different kinds of experiences. And then what happens is the training department is now in the business of curating and integrating a whole bunch of things into one place. Uh, and that's just the way the market is. Now you guys are here to fix that. I mean, I think your solution is, is, is really tailored made to not to prevent people from having to go through that in the sales experience. But the problem is, is two things. One is selecting and integrating all the, all the pieces. But the second is, how do you know what to turn on when? Yeah. I mean, how do you make the decision on when this should be a video, when this should be face-to-face, -face, when should this be 10 minutes, when should this be two hours? All of those decisions are being made by training departments. And, um, you know, some, some training people are very, very professional and very experienced in different domains, but a lot of it's trial and error yeah. uh, where they'll try things and, you know, people like it and they'll try something else and people will be bored and then they won't like it. So it's a, it's a never-ending uh, process of improvement. You know, it's so interesting you say that, Josh, I'm a big movie buff. And um, I just watched recently a YouTube video that featured George Lucas and Steven Spielberg talking about their relationship with Francis Ford Coppola during the making of The Godfather. And, and in particular with, with Godfather 2, it talks about how Coppola had made this, this movie that again was you know, more than two hours long. And um, he was told that he had to cut it down to two hours and 10 minutes, which he knew he couldn't do. And, and so basically what he did is he cut it in such a way that he knew they would hate it, which is exactly what happened. They hated it. And then they said, okay, we'll put the other stuff back in. So I think the, the reason I, I wanted to share that with you is one of the metaphors we've used for so many of the L&D pros that, that we're working with, whether they're actually in the, on the training side or, or more um, even at the, at the content creation side is, is recognizing 
that a big part of the shift that's happening with this whole learning agility and the, the agile mindset is we're saying you don't need to be the actor. You need to be the director. So what yep. you just described, the skill set that Coppola right. had to, to pull out the performance from these different people is a, is a similar skill set to an L&D professional who says, I know Josh Burson's the right person to have to talk about this topic, but this other person's the right person to talk about that topic and being able to curate the people who bring the credibility and then to structure the form factor. All of these things come in to, I think, the, the emerging best practices that are happening in the, in the, among the tools you've just described. No, I agree. And, and also that analogy is also good because it shows that this is a creative profession. Um, you know, no, two different training leaders are going to solve the same problem in different ways and, and they both probably be successful in different ways and different, different patterns. So absolutely. Well, it also, you know, the other part that I like that relating to the creative piece is the notion that, you know, to some extent, if your whole orientation is compliance content, you basically can uh, have a mindset that we're just going to force feed people and they have no choice. But this has a more free market element to it, which is no, you, you know, people get to choose and we'll have the data and the analytics to support what have they chosen and why have they chosen it. And to your point, sometimes we don't know why they've chosen it initially, but over a period of time, there's usually a pattern that emerges. And, and the pattern we've seen is shorter tends to be better. Even if it's mobile. Yeah, there is one thing though. There, one thing that I think, given that I've done this for so long, I've been doing this for more than 20 years, I think there's a, a little bit of an over-rotation toward self-directed, uh, do whatever you want, yeah. and if you like it, you're going to learn something. Yep, that actually absolutely. That's how it works. Yeah. Usually you don't learn anything unless you have to really work at it, and you have to get sort of taken out of the day-to-day the -day life you're in into some environment to learn and be forced to kind of go out of your comfort zone a little bit. And I just want to make sure people remember that, that throwing a bunch of content out there, and I'm sure you know this, buying an LXP and just turning it on doesn't create a lot of learning. It might create some clicking and visual engagement, but it may not create the learning you think. That's spot on. Josh, and if you, if you go back to Plato's Academy, you said something also you know, very significant there, which is one of the benefits of the in-person live model that existed for so long was there was something to be said for taking you out of the realm, right? You're, you're away and, and not as distracted. And so there's that additional layer of complexity in this remote environment that we're in. And so the, the piece, you know, just as I think about how this, this all is, you know, the direction that it's heading, it leads me to, uh, the next question, because um, I mentioned this to you a moment ago, uh, just before we began, this, this famous yeah. article you wrote, do you still need the LMS? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just mentioned about LXP, and one of the things we've seen is that um, one of the big challenges in the sales arena, among many of the LXPs that I've, I've personally experienced, is the problem is they don't have relevant content for salespeople within a specific organization. So, for example, when you were at IBM, there was no chance you were going to watch, if they had it then, video from someone at digital. Right? Right. You, were, you were only going to watch something from people from IBM. That's right. different with content for developers or maybe even in the finance function. You know, there's, there's a different types of commonality. So my question for you is, you've been at this a long time. You've been involved personally with companies. Um, what's changed from your perspective as related to the question that you posited back in April of 2017 on uh, do we still need the LMS? 
Yeah, the LMS, I mean, I've been around since the beginning of the LMS market. The learning management system is a management system. It was designed to manage learning. It wasn't designed to deliver learning. It wasn't designed to teach you anything. It was designed to manage the process of learning. The history of learning management systems were called training management systems, which were scheduling tools to schedule classrooms or schedule slide projectors or whatever it was you used. Ah, I didn't know this. I didn't know that. Well, there's, a, there's a history to this. This all, it all came back from instructor led training and like how many people does this room seat and is the slide projector available? And you know, how do we have coffee scheduled and all that? Yeah. So the LMSs were patterned after that, but for e-learning. So you stick your content in there, We'll tag it. We'll put it in a catalog. People can, oh, you have to pay for it. We'll collect your credit card. Oh, you already paid. We'll give you credit for that. Oh, your manager has to approve. Let's send it to him. So all those management uh, business rules are really what the LMS is designed to do, as well as compliance uh, tracking and certification and recertification and credits and all that. It was never designed to be a place to learn. The, The presumption of the LMS was that the learning was going to be embedded in this piece of SCORM based content that somebody else built that would stick in the LMS and do its thing. Ah. So, so the learning experience platform, as much as it's sort of not necessarily everything either, is, is a step toward an experience of a learner that was never designed to be in LMS and LMS was never designed to be. So, um, we still need them because companies have to track stuff and they need to know the versioning and they need to keep track of compliance and run reports. But the LMS to me now is more of a back office ERP mainframe kind of in the closet kind of thing that tracks things. The really learning experience has to be done in a, uh, a whole different, different layer of software like what you guys do. Very interesting. Uh, so I bet there's a number of people who don't know that pedigree of the whole um, origin. Let's move on to um, your thoughts uh, as it relates to the next generation of learning and, and what you see that will be different and how important mobile, mobile access to content versus people at a desktop. Well, there's no question that mobile is important. I don't think anybody would deny that. Roughly, I, don't, I think probably 50 to 60% of the internet traffic in the United States is now mobile. It's, it's certainly on my website, it's more than half. Um, I think the world of learning today is in many ways the best it's ever been because we have high bandwidth, we have lots and lots of options, uh, audio, video, multimedia. We're soon going to have VR embedded into most of our devices. Um, We don't have any problems downloading things. I mean, a lot of the early online learning, it took forever to download things. The video was slow. You know, the audio was poor. So um, the experience can be incredible. The uh, difficult part is that um, despite the proliferation of content, I think companies need to think about learning in the form of what I call a capability academy. And sales is a perfect example of this. Sales is a highly complex role and function. You need to know everything from how to deal with people, how to deal with leads, how to qualify, how to have conversations, how to close, 
how to deal with objections. Oh, and then you have to know the product and the competitors and the pricing and the features. Oh, and you need to know who to call in the company to get help. Oh, you need to know other people who've worked in this industry. I mean, there's just a lot of things. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> you sound like a guy who's done this before. Yeah, yeah, I have, I have, and it's very complex. And so, you know, it's probably, if you looked at the training industry of the 240 billion or so, the two biggest segments are sales and leadership. Sales yeah. training is oftentimes not even in L&D, it's in sales. Right. <clears throat> so a lot, most big companies, the sales training group is not affiliated with HR at all. Yep. Um, in fact, they usually don't even like HR, they just <laughs> stay away from them. Yeah. Uh, and they're dealing with business critical topics that if they're not effective, the company's not gonna grow. So yeah. it's about, about the most business critical training there is other than, you know, safety training in an oil refinery. Um, so uh, so building, putting together the right um, combination of experiences in the right platform is really important. And salespeople, unlike engineers who sit at their computers all day, don't have a lot of time. They're going to use their phones. They're not going to sit down for an eight-hour course online, maybe ever maybe occasionally, but not very often. Um, and so you have to reach them with just enough content when they need it and where they need it. <clears throat> and then there's a huge amount of need for what I call learning in the flow of work, which is I'm in the middle of this particular issue or cycle in a sales process. I need help on this problem, this topic, this piece of information, where do I find it now? Right. I don't have time to go back through a course and browse through all the content and figure out what chapter it was in. Um, and that's a, uh, a new domain that's been becoming more popular in the last couple of years that I think is part of sales training too. So it's a, it's a really exciting domain of the uh, L&D profession that um, takes advantage of all of these different options that companies now have in the technology. You know, Josh, I think one of the reasons that phrase that you coined um, that we're big believers in is so intuitive to people is virtually everybody who's ever gone on to YouTube to learn how to do something, which is almost everybody, right? Yeah. They have literally been learning in the moment of need, right? So you don't go watch a video on how to fix your garbage disposal when your garbage disposal is working just fine. You right. do it when it's backed up and you think, I don't know what to do. Let me watch a short video. So we're huge believers in that, that inherent motivation to get people to want to learn when they need to learn it. And yet we recognize that there's other, there's another stream of learning that requires a level of formality, a level of sequencing. There's certain things that you need to learn addition before you learn. Right. Yeah. So well, I, <clears throat> my experience is the deepest, most important learning you will have is the latter. It's the place, it's the times when you will stop and leave your work experience and get really immersed those are usually the things that will change the way you think about your career and your job in a significant way. But you have to be able to do that in the right experience so that it doesn't feel like a big interruption. So let me segue. I've, I've recently gone through the big reset report that you just published. I know you've worked with more than 160 companies just for that particular research. Uh, the question is, what do you see as the biggest gap between how people learn at work versus how they learn in their personal lives in the context of you know, what we've just been talking about? 
Well, I mean, there's a couple of things at work. There's, there's things you have to learn to get your job done, period. There's systems and tools and where things are and who does what you have to know that, you know, you don't have to know at home. Um, I think this is the thing that we're learning in the pandemic because learning is really explosive in growth right now is that people have learning is an engagement tool. A good learning experience not only makes you better at your job and makes you uh, better educated, but gives you kind of an excitement and a thrill and an engaged feeling about the company and the job and the role. <clears throat> so right now, giving people aspirational opportunities to learn is part of working our way through the pandemic. People are under a lot of stress. They're under a lot of uh, uncertainty and ambiguity. Um, learning something new actually gets you out of that mode of thinking. So, so I think at the moment, learning is becoming a bit of an inspiration for people. That's why companies are finding it to be so successful and they're actually developing a lot of great content. I think that's a great silver lining as it relates to the time that we're going through that you know, isn't immediately self-evident to, to people. Um, just in the interest of time, I'm gonna jump right to uh, the last question I wanted to ask you, which is in the spirit of this Adapters Advantage podcast, can you describe a personal pivot point or a moment of learning for you that in retrospect impacted the trajectory of your career? <laughs> well, the biggest learning experience I had, there were two. One is when I left IBM and I went to work for Sybase. I went from a very big company to a much smaller company. But then, uh, and there was all sorts of learning I had to go through to figure out how to work for a small, fast growing company. But the, the one after that was when I was laid off. I was laid off from a fast growing startup in the year 2000 and that's how I became an analyst. And that experience of being thrown into the deep end of the pool and having to survive or swim uh, taught me a lot. And I think it teaches most people a lot. And so I, I kind of tell this story to a lot of people that sometimes, um, you know, you have a bad fit with your manager, you have a bad fit with your company, you have go through a layoff, you have go through a downturn, you get fired for some reason, and it feels like the end of the world. You have just entered an enormous learning opportunity. The it's pandemic perfect. is a perfect example. Yeah. All of the stress is teaching us all, all sorts of things. <clears throat> so those are the ones I remember the most. I love that, Josh. And I, I cannot tell you, I man, I know you know, it's like how many entrepreneur, fellow entrepreneurs across the realm have all said like, it's something like what you just described, what, what they thought was their worst day, right? It turned out to be the spark of, of this whole new thing that was bigger than they could ever have imagined. And I can imagine as, as you started your company and then sold it and then restarted again, like you realize like- There was a mark, hopefully you don't have to go through this. I went through a summer one year where we were almost ran out of cash and I made some bad hires and some things happened. And one day I was in the office in Oakland and my co-founder, and I met on a Saturday and he came in in tears. He was just so upset that we were gonna run out of money. And I just remember learning at the time, I'm never gonna let this happen again. <laughs> <laughs> I have learned that one too. <laughs> no courses in cash management would have taught me that. That's right. I, I was gonna say, and that, that memory is seared into the learning that happens for us human beings when that happens, um, it's a lifetime learning right there. Yeah. Well, so Josh, if people want to learn more about you, the Josh Burson Academy, um, the work you, you do, what's the best way for them to, to reach you? 
There's two online places. There's my website, joshburson.com, and then there's bursonacademy.com. And I'm always writing articles on LinkedIn and putting things on Twitter and so forth. So I'm all over the internet. Um, and I would just, you know, kind of browse around and find me. I'm doing webinars all the time. I used to do a lot of speeches. I'm not doing that at the moment, but I'll go back to that eventually. So all of those are good places to find me. Well, we really appreciate uh, your being a guest here and look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for joining us this week on Adapters Advantage, available on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you visit our website, alego.com, where you can subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. If you liked this show, you might want to check out our virtual training kit to learn how to keep a remote team running at full speed. Go to alego.com slash virtual to download your kit today. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And don't forget, one new idea can change your life.